We are entering into a series that I'm really excited about. And the reason I'm excited about it is that I've never actually done a sermon series on this topic. And, and, and it's not because I hadn't wanted to or anything. There's just so many things to cover in the Bible. But I'm really excited about this one. And it's called Strong Women of the Bible. And, uh, and so I'm very excited. We're gonna be focusing in on four particular women within the Bible and learning about what, how God has used them and what lessons about their lives that we can learn that we can then apply to our own lives. So we could say that men outnumber women in the narrative of the scripture, and it's true. There's, there's certainly far more men that is talked about in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't neglect the importance and the influence of women of faith and the invaluable contribution that they've made. Uh, and, and so this is important. The Bible, and, and this is a tricky thing for people. The, there are many who would say that the Bible demeans women, but that's actually not true. Within the cultural context that is going on around them, the Bible actually elevates women. And, uh, and, and so I think it's important that we walk into this with that perspective so that we can see how God uses women. And so the Bible tells us about famous women, people like Eve and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then we also hear about significant women like Sarah and Miriam. And then we hear about some pretty rebellious women uh, like Delilah and Jezebel. And so there's all kinds of people that are talked about in the scriptures. And the point is that women are present in the Bible in ways that are important and that we can learn from. And so this series, we're going to pick up four women in the Bible who can serve to teach us some truths about God and about ourselves. Now, one biblical woman that has received an awful lot of attention, let's say within the last 10 to 15 years, is a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Now, you've probably heard this name before. Um, but most notably in the secular world, there's an author by the name of Dan Brown. And Dan Brown has written a number of different kinds of novels and they're uh, they're actually fun, even like the ones that got turned into movies, they're actually fun to watch, and the intrigue and the uh, conspiracy theories that he leads into. But Dan Brown wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code, and it stirred up an awful lot of controversy about Mary Magdalene and her relationship with Jesus. And so according to Dan Brown, which by the way, you should know that Dan Brown just brought it into the entertainment world, but it was most certainly part of some people within a historical world uh, in terms of their beliefs. And so this is not something that Dan Brown would be the only one to talk about. Students are learning about this to some extent within universities. They're certainly learning about it online. Because uh, if I just type in Mary Magdalene, the amount of times that you see that Mary Magdalene was the wife of Jesus is astounding. So here's what Dan Brown tells us about Mary. That she, in fact, was the beloved apostle, right? Like the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that she was the one who actually wrote the book of John. That's what Dan Brown is bringing forward, uh, among other people, that Jesus not only married Mary Magdalene, but he also fathered, fathered like, listen to this, fathered a child who then became the head of this Frankish uh, Moravian royal dynasty, which was founded by Clovis I, and he reigned in Gaul and Germany from 500 AD to 751 AD. Like this is how pr profound and ridiculous some of these theories are. But there's not one shred of evidence or truth to the claims that these guys are making regarding Mary Magdalene. And so it's important that we understand who she is and what she's about. 
But we got to understand that the Bible itself is our authority. If we want to know about Mary Magdalene, the only real place that's talked about the authentic person of Mary Magdalene is in the Bible. And so that needs to be our source of authority. Everything we know about Mary Magdalene is contained in a dozen mentions of her in the four Gospels. The present Mary is distinguished from all others in this, uh, of the same name. Uh, so here's what I mean by that. There are a lot of Marys mentioned in the Bible. Um, so there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have Mary Magdalene. You have um, Mary of Bethany. And, and so it can get a little confusing sometimes when you're reading the Bible as to, or for some people anyway, as to which Mary we're talking about. So this particular Mary is distinguished by the nickname associated with her name. Magdalene is not a last name. And we treat it like it is. But Magdalene is not a last name. Magdalene is an indication of what region or what place she's from. It, def it identifies her, her birthplace, just as Jesus is called the Nazarene because he grew up in Nazareth. Um, Mary Magdalene is from Magdala. And it, this is an important thing because Magdala is a location that gives us some indication of Mary's background. So Magdala means tower or castle, and in the time of Jesus, she, it was a thriving, populous uh, community. It was on the east coast of Galilee, about three miles from Capernaum, which is where Jesus was from. Dye works, or the fashion industry, was um, a pretty significant source of wealth for the community in amongst things like the fisheries, which was common to most places in the day. And so it may be that Mary Magdalene was connected to the industry of the town um, because somehow we're told that she had these financial means to be able to help pay for the ministry of Jesus. And it's interesting because not everybody understands that or remembers that or knows that. So let's walk through what the Bible actually has to say about her. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. And uh, when you have it, would you just read along with me? Here's what it says. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news uh, of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. So he had already chosen the twelve disciples at this point. So it says the twelve were with him and also some women, listen, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. Now listen, these women were helping to support them out of their own means, right? And so these women collectively were financially supporting Jesus and the disciples. How cool is that? They were so committed to the work of Jesus that they were financially supporting them. So who was she? What do we know? Uh, because this is a person who plays an incredibly prominent part within the story of the resurrection. And so it's important that we understand uh, what Mary is all about and who she is. So she's mentioned more times in the Gospels than many of the apostles are mentioned. Twelve times, actually, she's mentioned in the Gospels. But we actually don't know an awful lot about her. Here's what we do know. We know that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. That's according to Mark chapter 16, verse 9. And we just read that from Luke 8, verses 1 and 2. 
We know that she was from a fishing town that was also known for its textiles and fashion uh, called Magdala, which is on the Sea of Galilee. She's possibly a woman of wealth, right? Because we know that according to verse 3 of Luke chapter 8, that she was helping care for those financial needs of Jesus and the disciples. We know that unlike many of the disciples, she did not desert Jesus after his arrest, but was present even at the crucifixion. And we read that in Matthew 27, Mark 15. Um, we know that in Mark 15, actually, that, uh, sorry, it, it, yeah, Mark 15, that she saw where he was buried. So she was present at the crucifixion. She saw where he was buried uh, and came very early on Easter Sunday with two other women with spices to be able to tend to his body. That was Mark chapter 16. We know that she was one who ran to tell the disciples that Jesus had risen. That's John 20, verse 2. And we know that she met with the risen Jesus at the tomb in John 20, verses 11 to 18. So this is what we know about Mary. And what we know about Mary is that she was a person who wasn't actually that different from you and me. She wasn't a crazy woman under the control of the devil. Neither was she a perfect human being. She, like us, had been freed from her old life and now took the opportunity of making a new beginning. This is what Mary's story is. So what can we learn from Mary? I mean, again, it's not like there's tons of information given about her, but she's a prominent figure within the resurrection story, certainly the, the, the whole Easter story. So what can we learn about this new beginning of Mary Magdalene? I want to suggest you that one of the things we can learn is that Christ's love sets even the worst of the worst free. Christ's love sets even the worst of the worst free. So regardless of where you think you are in life, if you believe that you are among the worst of the worst, you need to know that Jesus can set you free. Luke chapter 8, verse 2 describes Mary as having seven demons in her. And the number seven is actually a pretty important number. It's actually one of the most significant numbers that you'll find in the Bible because it is a number that's representative of completeness. It represents completeness. Now think about this. Mary had seven demons that needed to be cast out of her. If, if seven is the number of completeness, doesn't that indicate how severe her situation was? Like Satan must have had great control over her life, right? And based on this, we understand that she was in great need of deliverance. So it's said that having seven demons within her was a sign of her being completely under control of the devil completeness. How far gone would you say she was? All right? How much of the worst of the worst would you say that she was? Uh, certainly the, the Jewish church in, in the Babylonian Talmud refers to her as a woman of ill repute. And so she wasn't a favorable woman in, in the day. How far gone must people have thought she was? And we read in the same verse that Christ set her free from those demons. It's almost as if it just said it in passing. You know, like, yeah, Jesus was curing women of these diseases oh, and, and cast seven demons out of, out of Mary and then carried on. As if to say that, that something took place that caused Mary to be willing to commit financially to the ministry of Jesus. Christ who came to destroy the works of the devil 
freed her from sin. First John chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to this. I mean, if you ever feel as though you are being attacked by the evil one, that you feel like you're under the influence of the evil one, if you feel like you're just too far gone, that there's just too much sin going on in your life, listen to this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, listen, was to destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? To steal, kill, and destroy. What is Jesus' work? To come and destroy the works of the devil. Meaning that you are never, ever too far gone for Christ to be able to redeem you. Man, that's good news. I mean, imagine Mary receiving this good news. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us, listen, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Mary was set free from Satan's grip. And so are we. But just as with Mary, when we come to him and put all our trust in him, he will completely free us from the control of the evil one. No matter how hopeless or how deep in sin we may be, Jesus wants to set us free. Like, do you hear that? You know that sin that just seems to keep coming back? And you try and you try and you try and you can't seem to shake it. You can't seem to get rid of it. It's like a habitual thing that keeps going on in your life. And you feel like this thing has just got power over you. And whatever that sin is, maybe it's bitterness or unforgiveness, maybe it's anger, maybe it's porn, like whatever the sin is, I don't care what the sin is, but whatever the one that just keeps coming back as if it has control over you, Jesus wants to set you free. And not only does he just want to, he came to destroy the works of the evil one and set us free. So no matter how hopeless or deep in sin we may be, Christ can and wants to set us free. It also means then that along with that, right, because this is critical to it as well, that our past no longer actually matters. Mary didn't dwell on her past. It was just that, her past. There was no suggestion that you've done such things that you just can't be forgiven. No, actually instead, there was the certainty that no matter how bad her past was, no matter how bad it had been, she was forgiven. Completely. Perfectly. All that she had been and all that she had done were no longer of any relevance. She was a new creation. And she'd be given a new beginning, and she knew it. Do we? Like, do we know that we have this new beginning? Do we know that we've been given a different future, and not just a different future, but a different present? That Jesus has, in fact, actually set us free? Do we, do we know this and allow that knowledge to be determinative in terms of what we do and how we live? Which kind of brings us to our next point related to Mary. Being saved should result in a life lived for Jesus, for God. Mary Magdalene was a passionate follower of Jesus. In her, we see a woman who was so grateful that she followed Jesus, being thankful for the salvation that she received. In her gratefulness to Jesus, she became one of the women who supported Christ's work, his work of preaching, and she spent her wealth on supporting his work. Look, Luke, look at it again. Luke chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. 
and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, who from seven demons had come out, Joanna, wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, right? And then it says this, last, last statement. These women were helping to support them out of their own means, out of their own means, their own finances. They were supporting Jesus and his ministry. And so in the same way, like we got to ask ourselves, am I really grateful to Jesus for saving me that I'm fully committed and devoted to his message going out? Like, think about that for a moment. I think about my own finances. I remember when I first became a Christian. And I was going to church, and they were doing this thing called offertory. And I didn't know what that meant. I really didn't. I was ignorant of it. All I knew is they were passing these brass plates around, and people were chucking money in it. Little kids were chucking loose change in it. It was loud. People seemed to be really into it. People seemed to be watching what each other were doing. You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't get it. Until the pastor sat me down one day, and... We were just having a conversation about, you know, growing as a believer and being committed to Jesus. And then he asked me about my finances. And I remember thinking, like, this is a really personal question. Why are you asking me about my money? You know, are you just another person who just wants my money? And he talked to me about these women who were freed from Jesus, like freed from the devil's grip in their lives by Jesus. And their response was to support Jesus' ministry, even financially. Like, that's how committed they were to his ministry. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Am I really grateful to Christ for saving me? And am I living my life in pursuit of him and in support of his message? Because that's what happened with Mary. And so Mary wasn't just having demons cast out of her and then went about her life. Mary committed herself to the work of Jesus and committed herself to even supporting the work of Jesus. Mary followed him until he died on the cross and even went to his tomb after he was buried. She showed him so much love. So we ask, do we do the same? Like these are the things that we learned from Mary. We also learn that Christ should be the one we love the most. In, in the scriptures, it, it tells us that Mary grieved deeply at the death of Jesus. Since, uh, sorry, she was there when Christ was put on trial. She was there when he was hung on the cross. She was there when he gave up his spirit. She was there when he was buried. And when Christ disappeared from the tomb, she wept even more because she wanted to see him. And Christ rewarded her by showing his resurrection his resurrected self to her first. And what an incredible response she had. Like John chapter 20, verse 15 and 16 record her response. And so Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, this is entertaining to me, like why would she think he was the gardener? Um, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabbani. So I want, I want you to hear this, okay? This is interesting. Jesus talks to her. She thinks he's a gardener. And then he calls her name. 
And she immediately recognized him for who he was. I want to suggest to you that Mary's life, to some extent, is a life worth emulating. What she represents to us is people who are in grave need of the Lord. And I wonder if we deeply respond in that grateful manner to Jesus' love in the same way that she did. I want us to be challenged by Mary's life. To be a person who moved literally from dark to light, who understood the difference between the two, who committed herself fully to the work of Jesus and wasn't ashamed of him. She was there with him throughout the entirety of the trial and the, and the death and, and all of it and supported his ministry. It makes me wonder about you and me. Here's some things I want us to know. And I believe the scripture wants us to know. Jesus knows us by name. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This is, this is Jesus talking and this is awesome. Like this is wonderful. When she spoke to Jesus at the garden tomb, not recognizing him for who he was, he, the moment he said her name, listen to this, right? Like I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. So the moment he said her name, my sheep know me, she knew him. And she was able to identify immediately who was calling her name. But I want you to know that he calls your name too. Because you are special to him. So not only does he know us by name, but for us, we need to know who we're looking for. Outside the tomb, Jesus asked her, who is it that you're looking for? And Mary was always looking for Jesus. He was the most important person to her. She dedicated herself to him. And so what about you and me? Who are we looking for all our lives? And I want to suggest that we've got to tell everybody the good news. Jesus told Mary not to hold on to him, but to go instead to my brothers, he says. And she went to tell them that he has risen. He was risen, that she had seen him, and that he was going to be in heaven waiting for them. And then call, the call is for us, full of the joy of knowing that Jesus is written to go and tell everyone the good news. Do we do that? Do we tell everyone the good news? You see, the difference I would suggest to you between Mary and us right now is that Mary had relationship with Jesus prior to the resurrection. We, we, we didn't. We know Jesus post-resurrection. And so for her to experience Jesus' prior resurrection, to experience the resurrection, and, and then feel compelled because he is who he claims to be, to go and tell everybody about it, tell the disciples about it, and, and try to earnestly get them to come and see what's going on, um, there's something unique that takes place there. For us, we know the story. We're equally freed. And so I wonder, do we equally have the passion to draw other people towards meeting and recognizing Jesus? See, this is what Mary was about. We're to tell everybody the good news. Are we doing that? And lastly, I want to suggest that she was compelled by gratefulness. Mary knew what it was like to be freed from her bondage of demonic oppression. And she responded with thankfulness for her actions, uh, in her actions to the Lord. Do our actions illustrate our response to the Lord freeing us from sin? Servants of Jesus should know, do no less than this. 
And so how do we serve Jesus? How do we do it? And I want to suggest to you that it's taken from the words of Jesus. Mark 10, verse 43 and 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Mary sat under these teachings. She understood that she stuck it out with Jesus the entire time. She financially gave towards Jesus's ministry. She was committed completely. She was at the tomb, desired to be able to care for Jesus even after death. And was the one who would run out over to the disciples who initially wouldn't believe her. She does this anyway. Fully and completely committed to Jesus. And I would assert this to you that she likely was a tremendous servant. Servants of Jesus to do no less than this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the encouragement to us then would be this. Let's just go do that. What do we learn from Mary? Well, we learn that we need to be a grateful people. We need to recognize that we are freed from sin and to be able to be devoted to Jesus on the basis of that. We need to be committed to Jesus and to the mission of Jesus. And so whether that be us getting involved and providing for it, All of these things are part of what it means to be engaged in the mission of Jesus. And we also need to be people who communicate the good news of Jesus to serve other people in it. This is what we get from the story of Mary. She is an incredible woman in the Bible, a woman of strength. She was a disciple of Jesus in a day and age where women were not to be discipled by men, nor were they really well-educated by anyone. And so for Jesus to elevate her in this way, for her to be committed fully to Jesus and to deal with whatever would come, that's a life of dedication. So what's our life like? Are we asking Jesus to be more committed to us than we are to him? That's that's a big question. How committed is Jesus to us? Well, he's so committed to us that he died for us. I'm not asking you to die for Jesus. But I am suggesting that we are to live for him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that as we are going through this series, and Lord, even specifically just talking about Mary Magdalene, that we would recognize her for who she was. She was one of your disciples. She loved you. She was dedicated to you. She was given a new present and future. Uh, Lord, she was completely one of these individuals in the Bible that we could look at and say there are lessons in her life that we can learn and apply to our own lives. So Lord God, may we look at Mary and say there are things about how she interacted with you that we want to emulate. In your name I pray. Amen.